0: Well, this morning, Lord willing, we are going to revisit um, God's mercy. And as you go through God's Word, you will find uh, one phrase keep coming up with regard to His mercy. And uh, I know we read Psalm 136, His mercy endures forever. But one of the things you'll read in the Christian experience with God's mercy is that it's something we are called to obtain. Not to attain to, but to obtain from God. And so you'll see regularly, how do we obtain mercy? How do we get this from God? It has to come from Him. We cannot generate within ourselves because we're too guilty. Remember, we talked last week, for those of you who were here, and and I know several were not, uh, we talked about the underlying truth that we don't want to face about mercy, and that is mercy cannot be mercy until there is guilt. For guilt that demands judgment, then we can ask for mercy. Otherwise, there is no need for mercy if there is no guilt. Then we get into the realm of grace. And uh, so once we understand that there is a wrong that has been committed... There is an evil that has transgressed the one to whom we come seeking mercy, the one who is our righteous judge, the one whom we have wronged. Then we begin to understand mercy. Until we are ready to grasp that, that we are guilty before God, you will never go to God and ask for his mercy because you will not think you have a need to do so. And so, We talked last week about the requirement of God uh, for his mercy that we acknowledge our guilt. that We come to him on bended knee. And we declare before him we stand guilty and we are worthy of the punishment that you have intended for us. You're kidding me, right? Now can you hear me? All right. So mercy... Requires a precondition. The precondition is guilt. That you are worthy of being judged, of being punished. Without guilt, there is no cause for, need for, or presence of mercy. So God says, come before me, bend the knee, acknowledge your guilt, and then I can show mercy. And this we found in the Ten Commandments, where God says, I will remember someone's sin for generations, visiting that sin upon the children, the children's children. So God does have an, an attribute of vengeance, an attribute of judgment that is righteous, that he will exercise. But in the next verse, they're tucked into the Ten Commandments says, but... I will also show mercy to thousands. How do you obtain that mercy? Well, we looked at the first aspect of that. Actually, more than just the first aspect of it last Sunday. Remember that Jesus Christ himself, and this is where we really delved into it last week, uh, when speaking with his enemies and, and in people at large, invited them that if you really want to understand the working of God, meditate on, learn, learn, Understand and apply this declaration of God I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So, once we have received mercy, then we understand our place that we are the guilty who have been benefited by God's mercy. We are called then to be merciful. And hence, Christ says, Blessed are those who show mercy, they are merciful. Or they will be shown mercy. They will be granted more mercy. And it becomes a multiplication process that Jude talks about. May mercy be multiplied to you. How do we get it to be multiplied? Do do I have to sin more to get more mercy? Um, Because it implies guilt. No, you have sinned enough. Okay, You have plenty of sin to require mercy. We are guilty sufficiently. We don't have to work at trying to get more mercy by being more guilty. The fact is, is that we also link together not only being merciful, but increasing our knowledge of the truth about God and his word. What we discovered is the more I discover about God, the more I realize how holy, pure, righteous he is, that he is, dwells in inapproachable light, that in him there is no darkness at all. And I conclude by my further study of God that I am already more guilty than I thought before. And hence I need more mercy than I knew. So no, you don't have to go out there and sin more so you can receive more mercy or grace. And Paul deals with the same line of argumentation in the book of Romans. He says, what then? Shall sin abound so grace can abound? So I go out and sin so I can receive more grace? No. God forbid you do that because there are already enough sin in our life, we are already guilty sufficiently to have the mercy of God multiply towards us. The problem is, like the same problem we have with bringing people to Christ, is that we don't think we need more mercy because we don't understand just how deep and extensive our guilt is before God. When we study God's Word, it unfolds. Folds before us, and we go, Oh, that's what He is? That's what He requires? That's nothing like what I am. And we go through the Beatitudes alone, and we go, Oh, 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 blessed is, blessed are. <laughs> and we go, Oh, no wonder He can't bless me because I'm not those things. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy, they'll obtain mercy. And so God calls us to have mercy before we even think about sacrifice, about doing some religious activity, that that we need to join in him. And we talked Sunday night in our small group application time, um, and Bill had a very fascinating perspective. It's kind of like with patience. You don't pray for patience because... Um, trials are going to come because that's what gives you patience. Well, you don't want to pray for mercy because that means people have to wrong you. Yes, people have to wrong you for you to be able to be merciful. And now suddenly you realize what we're talking about. We're not talking about being merciful to one another because we like each other. We're talking about being merciful is about your position and your attitude and your perspective toward those who have wronged you, who have slandered you, who have spoken evil of you, who have spat in your face, who have tried to make your life miserable. These are the people that you view as your enemy because they have wronged you. You were right. They were wrong, and they won't acknowledge it. And God says, be merciful. merciful. What does that mean, to be merciful? Well, what did God require? Does it, is it a carte blanche forgiveness? No. Is God merciful? Yes. Who obtains that mercy is what we want to talk about. He is merciful to all. But not all obtain his mercy. He has sufficient quantities of it for the whole planet, for every citizen of it. Jesus Christ died for the world because God so loved the world that he sent his son to do that. And yet we know that not everyone in the world obtains his mercy. And so while God calls you to be full of mercy, merciful, which means that you're going to have enemies and people that have wronged you, speak evil of you and slander you, gossip about you, um, who are going to betray you, be disloyal to you, things like that. Uh, being merciful is not giving them permission to do that or a carte blanche, carte blanche forgiveness. It's not just blanket forgiveness. That is not mercy. Mercy goes and says, Yes, you've wronged me. And if you're willing to acknowledge it, I'm ready to extend you mercy. I'm willing to forgive. I'm willing to go through the process of restoration with you. This is what it means to be merciful as God is merciful. Which brings us into what we want to talk about today, is how do you obtain that mercy? The fact is, is that if we as a Christian community are not merciful, none of our enemies, none of those who have wronged you, whether they be within your church, or with, or what used, used to be in our church, or whether it be within the Christian community at large, or whether it be the world even, if we are not merciful, they can't obtain it, even if they wanted to. But what I find in the experience of the Christian community is we don't even offer mercy to people. And this is not being merciful. How can we expect God to have mercy on us to not give us the judgment we rightly deserve when we are unwilling to extend that offer to others so that they can obtain it? They cannot obtain something that is never offered. They must recognize and be confronted with the fact that that there is an attitude that prevails within the Christian community that says, though you are my enemy, though you have done incredible damage to me or my family, to my reputation, to my work, I am ready to accept you, receive you, and forgive you, all those things, if you'll simply acknowledge your guilt against me? And I say, oh, I have that. Do they know it? And how do they know it? When was the last time you thought to go to someone who had wronged you and say, and remind them that you are ready to show them mercy if they'll just acknowledge their guilt? Turn from it. Remember that there, in the original use of that desire, mercy, not sacrifice, is return to the Lord. That is that you're going to repent. You're going to turn from that activity, from that attitude. And maybe they already kind of have, but they don't know that they come to you and declare that. That's their desire, and obtain mercy. When's the last time you confronted someone who had wronged you with the knowledge that if they'll simply acknowledge their guilt Desire something different. Come to you and ask for forgiveness so you're ready to forgive. That's to be merciful. You might say, oh, what well, they might just do wrong me more. Say, exactly. How many times do you think our Savior has been wronged and yet he still wants us to go and tell people he waits to forgive you? This is what it means to love your enemies. It's to show mercy to them. Which means that you may have to expose yourself to them even wronging you more. But we must give them the opportunity to obtain mercy. So while we can say I have mercy to show them, if I do not give them the mechanism to obtain that mercy, it is of zero value. Would you agree with that generally? That if they don't have a way to access your mercy, that your mercy isn't of any use to anyone if you claim to have it. And so it is with God. And so we're going to find this declaration throughout uh, much of Scripture in reference to his mercy of something that we is something we obtained from God. We had to receive it. And of course, we understand that immediately with regard to our salvation, but we want to look at some other aspects, and before we do so, let's go to prayer, shall we? Lord God, we do thank you again for the opportunity to look into your word and to deeply engage your principles of mercy, and Lord, again, as always, we pray your spirit to direct this time and to guard it, and Lord, we want to uh, understand you, to know you better, and to live For you, more completely, in Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a formula, and I love formulas, kind of my chemistry background there. Um, They're like recipes, and for those of you who like to cook, you're kind of chemists, because that's all you're doing, is you're putting together formula. If I put these things all together in the right order, do the right things to them, and they come out and we have this beautiful product, Um, providing that I have the proper ingredients of good purity and things along that line, and I do the actions consistently in the right environment, I have this outcome. And so it is with obtaining mercy. Let's go to Hebrews first. If you'll turn there. Chapter 4, we have read this earlier, and we want to come back here because of verse 16, the very end of the chapter. Let's back up into verse 14, those so who understand some of the premise, and you'll see again this concept for, of obtaining mercies. And seeing then in verse 14 that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so what is the environment that enables us and emboldens us to go and look for mercy, to get it. I want to receive mercy. Well, the author of Hebrews reminds you, the reason you should be emboldened to go get mercy is because God has already demonstrated a merciful spirit towards you by sending his son to associate with your weaknesses. He has come to suffer as we suffer, hunger, fatigue, um, all of those kind of things, and, and interpersonal relationship things as well, of being uh, wronged by people when he did nothing against them and, he, and did things for them. He casts out a demon of one man and throws him into a bunch of pigs, and he gets driven out of the country. He has those who are religious leaders who have recognized him as the Messiah who condemn him and crucify him. He has one of his own. Betray him. He he has endured being wronged. He understands that sensation. He knows that pain. And it is out of that knowledge of his pain, of knowing what you go through, that he comes to you and says, I understand. That doesn't excuse you, does it? In and of itself, that doesn't excuse you. But here you have a Savior who comes and says, I understand your predicament. And I am going to make a way for your predicament to be solved. You can't solve it because you can't force my Father to forgive you. But I, 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 and make the payment for you. And he comes and he does that. And with the knowledge, understand this, and I I want to, obviously I'm going to apply this to you showing mercy. God goes to his enemies who despise him, despitefully use his son, kill him, to show them an environment within the person of God, I hate to use the word environment, but a character quality within the person of God that says, I am merciful. If you will simply turn to me. And I provided the mechanism for you to do that. Trust in my son, Jesus Christ, and I will show you mercy. Once we have done that, and once we really get a better and stronger handle on the humiliation of Christ for our benefit. That he is our high priest, he's our mediator. He is there waiting to resolve the issues between us and God. Not just the initial sin issues of our salvation, but of our Christian walk, of our sanctification, of our preservation, all those things that we studied in the first verse of Jude. He has established this sphere of the influence of Christ's sacrifice so that we have access. And now, Paul says, or the writer of Hebrews says, because of this, because we have this kind of a high priest who knows our weaknesses, knows that we're guilty, knows that we're just made out of dirt, uh, that knows and has gone through the things that you're going through, we can come to him with a level of boldness and do what? Ask for mercy. Now, we often associate boldness with a kind of arrogance and pride of strutting in and as if we belong there. And that's really a very foreign concept in in, uh, Eastern thought. Uh, That's really a Western concept of boldness. that we walk in there like I, you know, Aren't you lucky I showed up in the room? Um, that's not really the, the presentation that Paul's giving here. It is that we uh, recognize that we have a right of access. Christ has created it for us, an access. And so, much like someone who would do, like Esther, who comes into the presence of Ahasuerus and says, uh, I'm meekly standing back here to see if he'll let me in or if he's going <laughs> to off of their head. But she, that was a boldness. You might say, well, that was bold? Yes. A boldness in Eastern thought is one who will take the risk of coming into the presence of another who is obviously their superior. And, of course, the example is of a child to his or her father. They're bold, aren't they? Are they arrogant about that? No. That's actually a very humble thing. They throw themselves at dad. They run up. Dad comes in the room. "Ah!" And they jump and boom. Right? They jump. Some of you don't. You two don't know that. Um, Right now they just pee in your arms. But later they will jump in your arms. and want to play. And they just jump at you. That's boldness. But it's trust. It's, it's recognizing that you are their benefactor. You are the one that they look up to. You are the one. It is not a strutting into your presence. It is a running into your presence of joy. And that's the idea of coming boldly to God seeking mercy. I run into his presence as a child in his and, and he is my father. And I say, Can I have some mercy? Knowing that he has already built the environment whereby he wants you to obtain it if you'll just simply ask. And so we are told here that because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us, we should come with that kind of excitement and boldness, again, not with arrogance, but with genuine humility, and obtain mercy. We should Seek it from God. In Corinthians, they go on, and and we're going to talk a little bit about why we obtain mercy, but you will find this consistently used, this concept of we need to obtain mercy, which requires us to have an environment that we have a knowledge that God's mercy is ready at hand. The, The sacrifice has already been made. The provision is complete. The, the sympathy, the compassion is already there. It has been accomplished in Jesus Christ. And now it is for sim- simply for me to walk into His presence within that Christ, with, with, with that condition being in my heart, that I'm walking in Him and seek that mercy and obtain it. And just that for me? When I've been away from my family on trips, I often would bring them back gifts and the whole idea of running up, is that one for me? Well, they we would have that perspective toward God in terms of his mercy. Is that for me? I'll take it. I'll obtain it. I'll have that. But remember, it requires something of you that you turn to God, you've increased your knowledge of God, you've shown mercy you are in the right heart condition to come boldly before him. That is that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is personal, intimate. Without that, you don't really have access. You can't run in there excited and jump into his arms and say, I'll take all the mercy you have. It must be through his mechanism of Jesus Christ. And I want to also now address a little bit of why. Why does God let you get his mercy in such generous quantities? And pretty much whenever you want. Whenever it comes upon your heart and into your mind and life uh, to turn from your sin and to turn from ignorance and turn to him, why is he always so ready and open? And he has many um, motives for that obviously driven predominantly by his love for you. But he has some secondary motives, and Paul talks about those to the Corinthians, and he talks about those for, about himself, um, to Timothy. Why, why did God show me mercy? Why have I obtained mercy from God? And this comes back to the whole idea that God requires, desires you to be merciful more than he wants your sacrifices let's go to 1 Timothy 1, shall we? And just see why does God let you have such access to his mercy? And in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15 is where I want to pick up in. If you'll turn there, 1 Timothy 1, 15 says, This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. There's the mechanism yet again. And now comes Paul's attitude. Of whom I am chief. I am the chief sinner that Christ came to save. However, for this reason, what reason? The reason, this reason is that Christ came in the world to save sinners. Remember the context of him approaching the Pharisees with the idea of God desires mercy, not sacrifice, was them condemning his apostles for doing what they saw as sin. And Christ says, I didn't come to save the righteous, but sinners, you don't need me, you don't need my mercy, then why are you harassing those who do? So Paul says, I know I need his mercy. For this reason that Christ came to save sinners, I obtained mercy. So the reason he obtained mercy is he knew he was a sinner and needed it and he knew that Christ had made the mechanism, the, the means to access it. So because Christ came to die for sinners and I recognize that I am not the least but the greatest of sinners, I can now obtain mercy. So when we turn this around, I still have to answer the question of why. Um, Let's again go back to our question. Are you merciful? Have you enabled the means for people to come and obtain mercy from you? Have you laid out the framework that they know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that they can run to you With full expectation that they can receive mercy from you. Not slink into the room and hope maybe there might be a little bit of mercy in your heart, but no, have full understanding that that mercy is simply waiting for them to obtain. Paul says Christ Jesus announced it when he was here, he has been declared throughout the prophets going all the way back to genesis this is why he came he came to save sinners he provided the means and therefore i knew i was a really bad sinner and so i knew i could go to him and obtain mercy and now he says i obtained mercy and it wasn't just a selfish thing for my own benefit he understands that when you receive the mercy of god you aren't the only benefactor he goes on verse 16 he says that in me first jesus christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life wow It isn't just about your salvation here we're talking about. It isn't just about your walk with God that's at issue here. Paul says, I receive mercy and that's great for me. I say, well, that's great for Paul. So what for me? Oh, it's, it's not just about Paul. It's not just about you. And as soon as we make God's mercy only for me, only of interest because of my personal interest, because I don't want to go to hell, And that's the extent of our understanding of obtaining mercy. um, You, interestingly enough, lose it. Why? Because you aren't going to have a merciful spirit. Because you understand one of the secondary facets of mercy is that you become a testimony, a witness, an evidence of God's mercy for others. He says, I want to show a pattern. That if God forgive me, he can forgive you. And Paul says, God's working in me isn't just even for my generation. It's for future generations. So they will know. There's going to be future people, he says, who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. And by looking at my life, they can say, if Christ can work with the likes of him. Maybe I have a chance. Maybe there is a place for me in God's family. Maybe God's mercy can extend this far to me. Paul says the pattern of my relationship with Christ is to be evident. And when we go out in the world, one of the things we need to communicate very clearly is not that we are somehow better than them but that we were once sinners, the worst of the lot. If you think the worst sinners are the ones that are, you know, out there doing horrific acts, and they aren't the worst sinners. The worst sinners are the self-righteous Pharisees that go around trying to do what Paul was doing as a self-righteous Pharisee. Oppose the work of God among his people. Why, Paul says, I was the worst of sinners. Nothing more abhorrent to God than self-righteousness. One of the powerful aspects of most evangelistic outreaches is when we share our personal testimony. I came to Christ this way. And we share that as a Expression of this principle that as I have obtained mercy, you may also obtain mercy because Christ put up with the likes of me, and I wasn't a great catch, but He loved me and died for me, and I have obtained all this mercy from Him. I don't. I deserve punishment, and if that isn't involved in yourself in the test in your witnessing, it needs to be there. That I recognize I was a horrible person. I didn't think God could forgive me, but he says he would and made a mechanism to happen. And Paul says this is a pattern so everyone else who believes can say, God is long-suffering. He is merciful to any who will seek to obtain his mercy. What does it require? Turn to me. Turn to me. That you may obtain mercy. Be merciful, you may obtain mercy. Come boldly, that you may obtain mercy through my son Jesus Christ. We are giving an offer. And once we understand that we associate ourselves not with the divine, but with the sinners in our testimony, such were some of you, Paul reminds his readers. You were those kinds of people, so don't look down your nose at them. That's who you were, and that's where you would be but for the work of God in your life. You're only a sinner, saved by grace and by the mercy of God. You are no better than anyone you're going to with the gospel. And Paul says this, God wanted to work in me first, Because I was the most hated man in Christendom of his day. You understand that? He was the most feared and hated man among the early church, earliest church. To the extent that when he shows up and says, I've accepted Christ as my Savior, they said, Not a chance. We're not falling for that one, bub. And no one would receive him, except for one guy named Barnabas. Takes him under his arm and says, All right, I'll take the risk. So guess who in the whole early church was merciful? Barnabas. You've wronged us. You've imprisoned us. You have killed us. You've killed some of our best and brightest. You're responsible for that. And now you think you just show up and claim the love of Christ in your life and expect us to just take you in? Yes! Says one guy out of the entire early church. Barnabas. Blessed are the merciful. And by the way, mercy is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So some of you have extra mercy, like Barnabas, than the rest of us. Because the Spirit has blessed you with it. But it doesn't excuse the rest of us from having it. So one guy, Barnabas, says, oh, come on, we've got to take a chance. After all, look what God's done for us. Where were we before that? Who were we before Christ's mercy came? Where are we sinners too? And so Paul becomes the example. Here is the number one enemy of the church. God extends mercy to him and he comes to the church and he's now the example. Who can God save? Our greatest enemies? Are you prepared to accept those kind of people into your church? Because God's prepared to accept them into his family. Are we ready to accept them into our inner sanctum? It's a lot of risk. Yes, establishing an environment of mercy is extraordinarily risky. You risk being rejected. You risk being spat upon. You risk it being made a fool out of. You risk getting hurt all over again. Yes, being wronged all over again. And yet, God keeps pursuing sinners for his kingdom. So why aren't you pursuing those who have wronged you with your mercy? Won't you return? Acknowledge your wrong and come and receive mercy. You may obtain it that others may see it. In Corinthians, I don't have quite enough time to go through all that was described here in Corinthians. But in Corinthians, Paul visits this whole idea of why in addition. And he's talking about mercy, and he's going to ask this question. God showed, and he's talking to the Gentiles, and he's comparing the Gentiles to Israel. And he's saying, he's asking this this statement. Why do you think God showed you mercy, Gentiles? He had to, he turned mercy away from Israel to extend it to you. Why do you think he showed you mercy? He said, God has shown you mercy for one important reason. That is so the Jews can see God's mercy toward you and say, we used to have that. To invoke a jealous response in them and to say, so that God could have mercy on them again. And again, we see this Underlying work of mercy is to be multiplied, not just in your life, but in the lives around you. And Jude says that he prays that, that mercy may be multiplied to us. And We often think of that in terms of me being the recipient and more and more of God's mercy. And that is one facet of his mercy being multiplied to you. Oh, another facet of mercy being multiplied to you is that that mercy you are receiving then becomes a pattern, a light, an influence on others around you. And now we suddenly see more and more and more people coming to God looking for his mercy because of the multiplied mercy that we have received from him and the testimony of that mercy to others. Even to the point that he says... Israel as a nation will respond and say, we want the mercy you showed the Gentiles that used to be upon us back there in the land that we rejected because we rejected Christ, but the Gentiles have received that mercy. Now we want that mercy. So not only is the idea of mercy being multiplied that you receive more, but that more people around you are receiving mercy because of his mercy at work in you. But if we pompously walk around as though we have no sin, as though we are Christians and part of the elect just because we get it and other people don't, because we're a little smarter or a little nicer or because we are raised in better homes, um, we have done a great disservice to the mercy of God and we are really in jeopardy of being deceived that we have received any mercy from him. remember, to receive mercy we must acknowledge guilt. It is very easy to fall into the pharisaical trap of self-righteousness and to become less and less merciful toward others. Because you say, well I didn't do anything wrong. Really? It would be more appropriate to say, I didn't wrong that person, they wronged me. But you can't really make the statement, I didn't do anything wrong. That is self-righteous declaration of not guilty. On one instance, you may not have done anything wrong. But let's be careful with using words like ever and anything and nothing. I didn't do nothing. Yes, you have. We all have. Those are declarations of of blanket innocence that will prevent you from accessing the mercy of God and will keep you from ever being merciful to others. The fact is, we do wrong one another frequently. Frequently. When you do not pray consistently for one another, you wrong your brother in Christ. You are wronging them. Did I make that up? No. Samuel, his retirement speech says, I'm not going to sin by failing to pray for you. Israel, I will not sin against God by failing to pray for you. Even in his retirement, he recognized, if I'm not praying, I'm sinning against you if I'm not praying for you. So don't give me this, I didn't do anything wrong. Because the fact is, is that we are all inconsistent, really, in what God has called us to, to sustain right relationships within the people of God, among the people of God. What we really mean is I didn't wrong that person the way they wronged me and they had no just cause on a human level to do wrong against me and I will say, okay, confront them on that but don't confront them as someone in a righteous role confront them as someone as a pure sinner who has mercy in their heart because you have sought it from and obtained it from God through Jesus Christ. This is the foundation of going after people to get them to receive your mercy. Instead of taking this passive role, well, if they want it, they can come get it. Do they know that? How do they know that? Where's the evidence? And once they see that, do they recognize that your desire is that the mercy not only flow from you, but from God to all those around you that you want it multiplied? for everyone who will believe unto everlasting life in the future, that you're willing to be wronged, you're willing to be the one to suffer, and to still be humbly willing to receive people who confess, repent, and ask for forgiveness, to receive them back, no matter the risk, that others might see the mercy of God. Do we have that spirit within us? Because that is the spirit of God. That's the spirit of the truth. But we make these generalized statements and they roll off our tongues thoughtlessly, and that is always dangerous. I didn't do anything wrong in that circumstance. And I can honestly say as I evaluate my life and my relationships that I cannot with honesty say that. Because I'm a sinner who thrives only because God has allowed me to run into his presence and get mercy. And so God calls us to be merciful. Not only an attitude within us, but an environment around us that we create that is God-like. That is saying, reject me if you want, but I'm going to keep giving you this offer. Here is how you can fix this between us. I'm ready to forgive if you're ready to repent. I'm ready to take the risk and letting you back in my life if you're ready to acknowledge your guilt in what you did. The alternative of having a merciful spirit is also talked about in the Bible and I want to reference it a little bit. Hebrews goes on later on, it says that you're to remove every root of bitterness out of your life. And I want to share with you that without mercy, bitterness is all you have left. And I think it is an appropriate description that is a root of bitterness. Because it can go way down deep and wrap itself around our very being. And we can be all flashy on the front and be clearing it off at soil level. But that root is still very much alive and very much has a grip upon our person and all it takes is a little bit of time and a little bit of energy and it will sprout again and sprout again and we can keep breaking it off there and breaking it off there and breaking it off there but it's still way down there and the Bible says do not let that root of bitterness in your heart how do you extract it be merciful that's the only way we have to, not by giving, the, the psychological community today says you have to forgive those who have done evil to you. Um, that's not the divine way. The divine way is you forgive those who repent and come asking forgiveness. And sense the interaction between the disciples and Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Um, well, the implication is, how many times does he get to come back to me and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me? Is seven times enough? Of course, Jesus says that you have to keep a better record book and go up to 490 times, right? No, it's as many times as it happens. As many times as it happens. Because the fact is, is that I've sinned against God too much. And I go to God and ask him to forgive me, sometimes for the very same sin over and over again. I say, please, I don't want to do this anymore. And then in a, a month later, I'm doing it again. But that's the environment of mercy he's created. If you'll confess your sins, I am faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Are we creating that environment around us that people know that if they confess their sins, that we are the merciful, that we are the faithful, we are the just ones who will forgive them. This is not a carte-blank forgiveness. This is a conditional forgiveness, but it is, but it is unconditional mercy. I have mercy towards you to show you how to get... Mercy and forgiveness. And so the showing of mercy and the obtaining of mercy, we want to see as two very different things. To show mercy is unconditional. To get mercy is conditioned. So God has mercy, has had mercy on everyone, the just and the unjust, but they have not obtained that mercy for that is conditioned. God loves the world, but they have not experienced his love because that's conditioned. His love is unconditional, but to receive it is conditioned. Otherwise, we're all saved. He has provided for the salvation of the world, yet the world hasn't received that salvation because the reception of it is conditioned. Believe in me, trust in me, repent, turn to me, follow me. That's the condition. So God has provided mercy. And Jude says, oh, that it would be multiplied unto you. Not only in the receiving of it for yourself, like we talked about last week, but in the expression of it around you, that as Paul said to the Corinthians, and Paul says about himself to Timothy, he says, I obtained this mercy for a reason, that is so that others could get mercy. Not just from me, but from God. We have a divine mandate. We were exploring that on Sunday night of how we can actively do that as a church and and what we have failed to do that on a very practical level. And we started that last Sunday. It's going to take us several Sundays to work through this so that it actually produces something different in us because it's evident that this is not where Christianity is in our day and age. We are much more interested in justifying ourselves than in showing mercy to others. And so we're exploring, how do we go to the guilty and say, come? This is an environment you can come to and find mercy. You can run here and jump into us, and we'll take it. We'll take the risk. It is the hallmark, one of the hallmarks of the Christian experience. Mercy, grace, love. Love, of course, is the last one in Jude's list. We're going to start next week into peace and discover and work into that a little bit, but we cannot miss mercy. We cannot make it something less than that which captivates our lives and our relationships between one another, between us and all of our brethren, and between us and the world. We are calling all men to Christ to receive so they might get what we get, his mercy. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love, and we thank you again for your mercy toward us. And we know that that is not the extent of it, but that you want to extend mercy to all. And that it that in your plan to do so, the one of the One of the calling of men to mercy is the experience of those who have already received your mercy. And Lord, may our testimony share that of Paul's, that as we know of your long suffering toward us, that we might have others recognize that they too can receive from you such mercy. They could obtain it for themselves and those around them. Lord, we have seen that you, what it requires of us, that is frequently lacking in our life. We might find a way to express the avenue of obtaining mercy to those that we claim to be merciful towards, those who have wronged us, that we often count as our enemies and they certainly count us as theirs. Lord, help these to be those that we know we must be merciful towards and show the path to obtaining mercy to Give us that wisdom and that courage to do so, not in our own strength, but by the power of your Holy Spirit to lead us to understand what we must say to them and how we must say it. Lord, we pray for your Spirit's direction in our church to understand how it must be expressed amongst ourselves. And Lord, we know that there are many churches across this land who are divided, who are disabled. because there's no mercy there's no willingness to be wronged and take the initiative to make it right Lord we want to be of a different ilk we pray for your help to guide us to live out your truth better and better to your glory And until your coming, in Christ Jesus' name, amen.